My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome to the scene, the synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now. And today we have an actual rock star author, Charlie Robinson. You know him from the book, The Octopus of Global Control, or The Controlled Demolition of America, or his new book, Hypocrisy, spelled Hippocrazy. Because things are getting crazy, folks. And where better to have this conversation than the scene? You know the deal, folks. If you want the whole scene, you want to see behind the scenes, you got to go to patreon.com slash mftic. And that's all I'm going to say, folks. Have a great day and enjoy this conversation with Charlie Robinson from Macroaggressions, from the Union of the Unwanted. They are 
is the World Economic Forum. Now, there's, there's other people besides them, but if we want to just pin it on one group, I'm fine with pinning it on them because they're not just, they're not trying to hide from it. They're outright talking about it. They're talking about Build Back Better. They're the Build Back Better crew. They're Davos. For those that, you know, hear on CNBC, you know, oh, the meeting in Davos this year with blah, 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 blah. That's who this is. This, that the World Economic Forum is the Davos crowd. You, you, you can go to their events, the $30,000 tickets, you know, and all that stuff. You fly to, to Davos, Switzerland, and, and, you know, it's when the 500 private jets all, all fly in. And it's wealthy industrialists and big tech people and bankers and, 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 some government officials sort of or or people that are just recently out of government in the military industrial complex these are the the assholes that are planning this whole thing it's manufactured for this purpose but it's two dollars to buy and they charge 800 and so you know so you know it's just you see things like that and you just feel and then if you've ever been you know if you're outside of america and you have a different relationship with the medical industry then you see all these inefficiencies See, we, we're nice, normal, rational, logical, loving, caring people. We would never do these things. So for us to think about doing that seems almost unreal. Like we would never do it, therefore we extrapolate and project onto them that they would never do that. That's dangerous because they don't think like we think. They don't want the same things. They may not even be wired the same as us. It's a psychopathic mentality that there's a certain segment of the population that are devoid of empathy. They have they they do not have the ability to feel the pain of others. Expect more fuckery from from the media and the government. And uh, but I'll say this: there is one good bit of news in this is that our awakening is like on an upward trajectory, and their trust in media is like falling off a cliff. So if we can wake up fast enough, we're gonna we're gonna get to a point where nobody's listening to the media. Their spells don't work on us anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mark Palmer. With me today is my lovely co-host, Tara. Tara, how are you? A phenomenal today. Good. Good to hear it. I know we've been looking over this next guest's book today. Mm-hmm. Certainly a lot rings true with us. The title, of course, Hypocrisy. The one and only Charlie Robinson joins us today. He's been on the show episode 31 and here he is for episode six of scene or five Five. episode five sorry we're doing so many episodes we're on episode 81 of my family thinks i'm crazy and this is the fifth edition of the scene but without further ado charlie how are you today 
I'm as good as you can be in this insane world that we are currently living through. I mean, I never thought I would wish for 2019 again, you know, like I, mm. it's not like we're wishing for like 20 years ago. It's like 20 months ago. And I could totally, I could totally use getting in my little DeLorean hitting the flux capacitor and going back in time a little bit so that I could get out of this insanity. But since I can't do that, I guess we're probably just going to have to fix it all. Right. Well, yeah, I'm hoping we can get into that later on in the show, but I heard you. Yeah. I heard you speaking on your podcast, Macroaggressions, about the book. And you mentioned how it kind of wrote itself in the, in the past two years, because I mean, have we ever lived in a time where hypocrisy is so blatant? I mean, it's just in your face. It's so crazy that it feels like it's there intentionally. I mean, it's so, it's so obvious. It's so omnipresent that you start going, are they doing this on purpose? Like they, that's the only explanation, right? When you, when you hear something or you see somebody do something that is so illogical or just a flat out lie by the media who, you know, I, my enemy number one is the mainstream media. I take a shot at them every chance I get, not, not, not for no reason, you know, not because they don't completely deserve it, but we live in this world where everything is a lie. And, and then to compound that, to point out the lie in today's society will get you ridiculed, which is the most devious thing ever. So it it makes you kind of frustrated. It also makes you kind of throw your hands up and laugh and just go, Hey, listen, man, it's just right in front of your face. Like the lies are, are, are right there. If you are unwilling or unable to see them, then that that's kind of, you know, that's kind of on you then. But we're, we, the rest of us with our eyeballs open, we see all this stuff. We're not falling for it. The media is not tricking us. We're not, we're not participating in this. We, we, we recognize the, the, the propaganda when we see it and we're getting a whole lot better at recognizing it. Actually so much better that the normies out there are starting to go, you know, I think some of these things that they're talking about on the media are, don't make any sense. And it's like, mm-hmm. yes, expand on that, keep going. So it's a, it's a strange time. The hypocrisy is everywhere. It's almost like a badge of honor for a lot of these people. And, and I just decided that what I would do while I was in the, I was in a, a lull with controlled demolition of the American empire that I wrote with Jeff Berwick, I had written a, a huge chunk and I was waiting on Jeff to do his part on this. And it was taking a little longer. And in the meantime, I was like, well, I, I want to write about I've got this other idea. So I started this book in 2019. So it's, it's, it's been on, it's been in process for two years. And, but, but what's interesting was the, the first part of it that I wrote, Trump was in office. The second part of it that I wrote, Biden was in office and they're very different. And so mm-hmm. I had to, I had to go back into, to the 2019 stuff and change a lot of the verb tenses and things like that. Cause I was talking about things that may happen and I had to go put them in past tense cause they already had happened. It was a lot like the controlled demolition book that was a two year process as well. So, so, you know, I just was, I was taking notes. I was seeing things like I'd see the media do something that was totally ridiculous. And I'd, I'd make, I'd make a note of it, or I'd make, you know, take that link and put it in a, in a folder where I had a, a list of all these links. And then I just started writing the book and pulling all of these examples of, of just, you know, like as an example, the lies of the media, you know, you, they're, they're the media. So they put them out there so that you, you can see them. And what's nice about that is that you can keep them, you can keep the links and you can show like 
their words. You can show them lying in, you know, like in, in the stories. And so what, what I wound up happening was that I wrote a book that's 335 pages, but it has 480 footnotes because there was so much documentation of all of this insanity. And I felt like as I'm writing this, like if I'm writing about, you know, something as insane as like getting fined for collecting rainwater or something, you know, something stupid like that. I'm like, I better put a footnote to this because it's so preposterous that if I don't put a footnote, people will think I'm making it up because it's so stupid, but mm -hmm. I'm not making it up. It's actually happening. And so I had to document all this. So like when it comes to the media or when it comes to the woke mob and these people, like, like they have nowhere to, there's nowhere for them to run because right. they can say they're not insane, but I've got a hundred footnotes of their insanity. You got so, the receipts. <laughs> got yeah. the receipts, baby. I brought yeah, them. And so. I hear you. And I got two points, you know, boom, we got a synchronicity because the rainwater thing I've been talking about that and you're, you're in Colorado. So that's a state where rainwater collection is illegal, unfortunately. And I think that's the case in a lot of states and it's mind blowing to when you realize that it's like, wait, this stuff is just falling from the sky in excess. It's, you know, we can freely use it to water our plants and, and, you know, take whatever we will from our garden, but we can't stop and, and, and collect that rainwater and maybe distribute it back into our garden on a, on a, a sunny day when there's been a drought, like this doesn't make any sense. Who's getting caught for collecting rainwater? She, she she doesn't think we'll get in, in trouble like, for it. She wants me to do it anyways. <laughs> yeah, I mean it 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 takes it. Well, the story that I found had to do with Oregon. And I, you know, I don't I don't know what's going on in Oregon because there, there's some authoritarian tendencies happening in that government there. So I think it might just depend on the jurisdiction where you are and the enforcement arm. But I mean, just think about this. Think about being the cop that writes the ticket to somebody for collecting rainwater. Like, I hope that guy goes home or woman uh, goes home and feels shitty about themselves because they deserve to. Because if you've written a ticket to someone for collecting rainwater, you're, there's a pretty good chance that you're a bad person who gets off on, on treating people poorly. So I see this stuff and I just go like, why, why? You know, right. it has to be about control. It can't be about logic because it's illogical. It's, right. Yeah. And on the point of control, I mean, that brings me to what I had in mind. Second being, you know, with the media, double think, double speak keeps yeah. coming to mind. And, and you know, you're keeping a record of all of the things they're saying. I'm sure they're they're going against, you know, themselves and, and saying one thing in one article as fact. And then, in you know, two weeks later, they're saying the opposite is true in another article. Well, I'll take it one step further. They're contradicting themselves in the same article where they'll, they'll, the, the headline will be 169,000 dead from COVID. That's what came out in the United States. That's what came out in August of 2020. That was like the first big announcement of it. And you go, oh, that's a big number. That's a lot of dead people. And then you read the article and you get to the last paragraph there. And in the last paragraph, it says, of the 169,000 people that died, 6% died from COVID, 94% died with COVID, and on average, 2.6 other comorbidity conditions. And those conditions included heart disease, cancer, getting struck by lightning, falling off a bridge, getting killed by a vending machine, like anything, anything else was, was that, but it was COVID. 
So it's like you, you go, wait, hang on a second. You just said 169,000 dead from COVID. And then I read the article and at the bottom, it says really only 6% of 169,000 are dead from COVID. The other people are dead from other things. And then they have, but they have like a positive PCR test run at 35 cycles, which is going to give you 97% false positives. And even Fauci said that all you get is dead. All you get is dead nucleotides, you know? So, so Okay, so your headline is a, is, is a lie. The body of your story is a lie. The last paragraph, like the last three sentences of the article is the truth and it contradicts everything else. So it's like they can't even write one story without lying in it. Right. And they do rely on, I, I would assume, people's lower attention span and oh, yeah. attention abilities, you know, cause that headline seems to be not only the ticket for it to get turned into a, a quick news story for every local news channel in the area and, and abroad, but you know, people read the, the headline, they stop two paragraphs in and then they don't get to that part where they contradict themselves or they don't get to the part where, you know, they had to insert some true fact to, you know, not completely tank their credibility. But at this point, how much credibility to, these journalists in most of these major newspapers, it's really folks like yourself who are doing independent research, putting it together, self-publishing, and even hosting podcasts. I mean, that seems to be where people are getting educated, but the media over and over is relying on this, you know, lack of education, it seems, amongst people. Yeah, and there's a there's a definite control of the narrative on the narrative by the higher ups inside the mainstream media. So I was in London a couple of years ago, and I was doing uh, Renegade Inc., which is a show that goes out on RT in the UK. And we were on the set record. I was with Ross Ashcroft, who's the host of that show, and we we're in his studio that he has. You know, like the full setup and everything, and that we're done recording and we're just kind of sitting on the set and we're, we're, we're chatting. And he goes, that was a really great conversation. You know, he said, when I used to work at the BBC, if we had had this interview back when I was at the BBC, I would have had a producer in my ear, in my earpiece, like three sentences in, cause we were talking about one particular topic. He goes, I would have had a producer in my ear saying, get him off that topic, get him off that topic right now. And if I didn't get you off that topic, by the time we were done, like we are right now, he said, my phone would be ringing and it would be the bosses saying, you got to go upstairs. And he goes, and I would be in front of a three person panel within minutes of this recording, trying to explain to them why I didn't get you off that topic, why I allowed you to keep talking about that. And I was like, whoa. And he said, that's why I don't work in the mainstream media anymore. He says, because they're, they're horrible. So, so there is a, there's a narrative being crafted. And I don't expect like the low level people, like the, the man on the street reporter guy. I mean, you know, they, they, they're just doing what their boss tells them to do. And I, I don't know that they're necessarily in on this grand conspiracy, but the people that are the producers, the people that are running the show at these mainstream media organizations, they know that they're lying. They, they know 100% that what they're saying is not true. They're not trying to give you the truth. They're trying to give you a narrative. And if they can get you to believe this narrative, then they've done their job. And then they cash their paycheck and they go home and hopefully cry themselves to sleep. I don't know. But, but, but I, I see that as something that I have no respect for. I have no respect for anybody that, that it works in the mainstream media and participates in that because 
it has real world effects. I mean, look at what we've been living through for the last 18 months. Like the things that the media say to the people, the people, not all of us, not us, of course, not your audience, because we know what's going on. But a lot of the people, they internalize that. And that's why you see people wearing hazmat suits when they go to the grocery store, because the media has scrambled their brains. And I don't think they're ever going to come back from that. I don't think the people the individuals that had their brains scrambled from the media are ever going to be the same. And I don't think the media is ever going to be the same either because they have lost so much credibility and rightfully so during this pandemic that they are on their last leg. So as far as I'm concerned, the mainstream media is extremely dangerous right now because they're like a cornered animal. They know that they're almost done. And so they have to silence all sort of dissent they have to get a, get a handle on the narrative. And then you see something like Project Veritas coming out, you know, once a month with some new expose, which blows a, a huge hole in the media's credibility. They're a sinking ship. So, I, and, and of course, they have nobody to blame for this but themselves because that they've, they've done all of this themselves. But it's a dangerous time to be relying on the mainstream media to paint a picture of reality because they don't want the same things that we want. And a lot of the normies out there, as James Corbett calls them, are, you know, they haven't figured that out yet. And they're going to be in for a rude awakening when it finally clicks to them that the media is not their friend. Right. Yeah, you're bringing to mind something I heard on uh, the Health Hero podcast, Health Hero Show with Tim James, a, a podcast that you, synchronistically enough, as I look at the RSS feed, were just a guest on episode yeah. 79. But what you made me think of was episode 73 with Dr. Will Tuttle. I had to go back and just get his name correctly because he, his father was working in newspaper. And one of the things that he told him is, you know, hey, we don't, you know, this newspaper doesn't exist without advertisers. You know, these stories don't go out unless somebody's paying us to advertise. So corporate influence, you know, as you're talking about these reporters and, you know, basically, like you say, they're selling a narrative. I'm thinking to myself, what's the rationale of someone who's in that position? You know, are they just that dumb? Are they that insulated? Are they that indoctrinated? Or is it that there's that you know, safety net of wealth that's being provided for them. You know, they're making as much as a doctor has and, you know, people who go and become reporters, I don't know how long they go to school for, but I can imagine it's not anywhere close to what people do to get a doctorate. I mean, come on now. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot of money, you know, being put in front of them on a stick to go in a certain direction. Do you think that is the only motivation there is, is the financial motivation for these reporters and, and talking heads? Well, it's, it's interesting because there's, well, for sure. So well, somebody like, let's just use Anderson Cooper as a, as an example, he comes from a wealthy family. So money's not a big deal to him, but, but, but you take a guy that's going to make $6 million a year as a reading the news, like the national news somewhere, Unless that guy learns how to throw a nasty change up, he's never going to make $6 million a year doing anything. So, so this, is an, this is an organization in, in which you have to play by the rules if you want to keep that job. If the reporter wakes up one day and decides, you know what, I can't do this anymore, has like a Jerry Maguire moment, writes up this big manifesto, sends it out to everyone and says, I'm going to come, I'm going to come clean about this. I'm going to expose these lies and everything. That person will be gone and there's a hundred people that will fill their spot. So nothing will change. The thing is that, that a lot of people haven't really, like the casual observer of the mainstream media haven't figured out with regard to the money aspect of it. 
is that especially with what we've gone through with the pandemic, you go through 18 months of this and you're looking at your television as a sense of, as a source of like information and guidance on how we deal with this virus and this pandemic as an example. What what the casual observer never takes into consideration is that 60% of the ad revenue that that nightly news program receives comes from the pharmaceutical industry. So like there's, it's already tainted. You can't write, you can't do an honest story about the very real dangers of vaccines, but forget the COVID vaccine. Let's just go back to MMR. You can't do that story on the nightly news without having the president of Merck in Jeff Zucker's office threatening to pull a billion dollars worth of advertising if he doesn't get his news anchor under control. So like you can't, you're not gonna hear both sides of the story, especially when it comes to the pharmaceuticals. And I think a lot of people, especially like in our, in like our, the older generations, like my parents' generation or, you know, you, they have like a different relationship with the media it wasn't quite as bad, you know, it might've been influenced and you might've, you know, it might've had a little slant to it because the CIA has always been involved. So they get, give you that slant, but it's nowhere near like it was today. And so they wound up getting like attached to a guy like, oh, I like uh, Peter Jennings or I like Tom Brokaw or whatever. And they get comfortable with this person and they, they feel they develop some kind of fake relationship with the news anchor. They think, oh, I like that guy. I trust him. He's a trusted source. Well, once you fall into that, it's over for you because they, they, they know that you have this unnatural relationship and they can tell you whatever they want, want, to, want to say. And so like any good lie, it'll be maybe, I don't know, 80% truth and 20% lies. And then you take that and you go off about your life and you take the information that you were given on the nightly news and you, and you go incorporate that into your worldview and it's wrong. It's just wrong. It's just, it's, there's a lie. You now believe a lie, but in your head, you don't know it's a lie. So it's reality. And so this is part of the reason why the media is so dangerous because they've weaponized people that don't have the mental capacity to really dig in and research the information they're being told by their nightly news. So they just believe it and they believe it a hundred percent. And then they want to fight with you about the news. And it's like, bro, you don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. Like you are so detached from this. Your information, you're going to, you're going to stand up here and defend Fox news to me or CNN. Are you out of your mind? Like this is, this is so, so it's created like an army of news junkies that go out there and then constantly repeat. And we see this of course, everywhere on social media, it's really kind of, kind of a, a strange like a zombification of these people and COVID, you know, when you, when you throw COVID in there and break everybody's brains and keep them cooped up and stress them out, like we've weaponized morons through the, through the media. And it's a, it's a dangerous time to, to, to recognize this because you rightly see it all in front of you. It's, 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 it's fascinating too. Absolutely. I think, you know, getting into the medical misinformation, you know, ban now that they're they're pushing this whole you know it's key words like that where they really you can see the hypocriticism and you can see the the targeting that's going on i mean i've never ever you know looking through all the holistic stuff you know when i was younger on youtube and all these places there would never be a medical misinformation anything but all of a sudden 
you know, maybe March, February, January of 2019, you start seeing this happening even before COVID got off the air. You know, you have these, you know, medical misinformation warnings, you know, as if we're so uneducated again, that we can't determine for ourselves. You know, it's that sort of entitled privilege sort of woke culture attitude that I think is another aspect of why these narrative, you know, pushers, the talking heads, why they feel so justified pushing a narrative rather than the truth. Yeah. I mean, have you, did you ever think you would live at a time where they would tell you they would put warnings on videos about vitamin D? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but, but then again, I'm kind of happy that they did because you can point, you can show a normie that and say, look, just, just, just look, they're putting warning labels on videos about vitamin D. Do you not think that that's insane? I mean, I think even the most brain dead person would go, what? That does seem a little weird. Yeah. Okay. Why do you think they're doing it? Well, because they're, they don't want you to take vitamin D. Okay, why? Because it might help you? Okay, go, good, keep going with that. Why do you think the social media platforms and the mainstream media are trying so hard to make sure that you don't know about something that will actually help you? You're like, I don't know. Well, you do know because it's not about helping you. It's about a narrative. It's not about, because if it was ever about helping you, we would have heard, like in, in the March of 2020, we would have heard we've got COVID coming in and it's this unknown and it's crazy. And we, we think it's going to kill everyone and we're working on a vaccine and vaccines are tricky. And so it's going to take a while, but in the meantime, everybody, why don't you eat healthy, get sunlight, drink clean water, work out, do all these. We never heard any of that. None of that, not, not even, a, not once on the nightly news. Did you hear any of that? All you heard was stay in your house, be scared and wait for the vaccine. So, you know, just by their non-action with regard to the most logical things that it, it's not about your health. And then when they suppress things like uh, vitamin D videos or ivermectin and things like that, you go, once again, here's something that I'm not saying it's the the silver bullet. I'm not saying it's going to come in and fix and save everybody. But what have we heard about the vaccines? Oh, if it saves one life, really? Well, what about ivermectin? What if it saves one life? Ooh, you can't talk about that. So it's like, okay, you're exposing yourself because you can't you can't say this any of this is about your health while simultaneously suppressing things that improve your health. And then and then it's like you take the normie person who now sees this and goes, horse paste, but it's horse paste. And you go, no, it's not. No, they won the Nobel prize for it, you know, in health. This is, this is a real thing. And you go, it is no longer able to be patented by Merck who invented it in 1980. It's the patent is expired. It's now a generic, which means that it costs three cents for a dose instead of $3,000 a dose. Right. Now, do you understand that it's about money? And that's when people go, wait, you mean they would, prioritize money over your health. And you're like, yes, they would. And they are. Yeah. One thing I learned from you is how much they charge people just for that salty water in the the saline, you know, like they're, they're literally, I mean, it's 400% markup, I think was what you, you determined. 400, 400 times. Wow. 400. It cost, it cost a dollar 90 for the say that, that saline pack 
And when they give it to you in the hospital, they charge you $800 for it. Right. It's just, I mean, and that's, that's salt water. I mean, come on. It's salt water. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's clean and it's, 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 you know, it's manufactured for this purpose, but it's $2 to buy it. Right. And they charge 800. And so, you know, so, you know, it's just, you see things like that and you just feel, and then if you've ever been, you know, if you're outside of America and you have a different relationship with the medical industry, then you see all these inefficiencies. When you look at America, you go, God, you guys are, you guys are doing it wrong. It's like, yeah, of course. That's why there's medical tourism in the United States where people get on a plane and go to Thailand and have their their facelift there because, you know, they can do it for the, like they can incorporate a vacation and it's still half the price of doing it back home. So, so there's a lot of things that we just sort of deal with in the United States and have normalized like our medical industry. And we go, oh yeah, $800 for a packet of, you know, a, a thing of an IV drip of saline. Yeah. That's reasonable. Right. Of course. So, so yeah, you got to have your you got to have your eyes open to to the to the little scams that are happening. But one of the nice things that I've realized is that once you do have your eyes open to this, once you are starting to look for these signs, you'll see them everywhere. You'll see the hypocrisy everywhere, and it's just a matter of getting yourself into that frame of mind. You know, like if somebody mentions a product to you, you've never heard about it, and then like later that week, you'll see two ads for it. You go, "Oh, that's kind of weird. I never even noticed it." Once it's in your brain, somehow it 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 sort of you you start to see examples of it more and more and in different places. So, so the nice thing about sort of the nice thing about our medical system being as broken as it is and our media being as compromised as, as it is, is that they're so desperate and they're so bad at what they're doing that when the normies see them screwing up and, make, and, and making these, bro, you know, like these bold proclamations and in, in, in ridiculous lies, like the, the head of the CDC coming on and saying, the vaccines are 100% safe and effective. You go, I don't think she's supposed to say that. And you go, just wait. Just wait, just watch. Now you're now that you're paying attention, start watching what all of these people are saying. And you're going to have that same thought. I don't think they should be saying that. I don't think that sounds right. I don't think that's something that you should like, like you, you should never say that the vaccine is 100% per, you know, per, protective for, for you, we, especially when you're the head of the CDC and you're going on, on, on national news sites saying there's medical disinformation everywhere. Yeah, it's you, dummy. You're the one with the medical disinformation. So, so once you wake someone up to it and they see Rochelle Walensky lying to you on nightly news and you go, now watch Fauci. You know, now watch Bill Gates. Now watch all these people. You'll catch all of them in their lies. And then it's like, oh my God, it was right in front of my face all along and I didn't see it. So, so the good news is as they overplay their hands, as they do more and more ridiculous things, it has the exact opposite effect. It wakes up a larger segment of the population. And, and, I, and I know that you guys probably are like me and that once you wake up to this stuff, you know, good luck trying to go back to sleep. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's, that's the effect that we have with the, the podcast here. You know, so many people, I'm sure you see it with macroaggressions in the past 10 years have been getting into this stuff more and more. I've only been doing this podcast for less than a year. You've been doing yours for multiple years, but I think more and more you see this great awakening happening. And it almost makes you think, you know, when you do pay attention, like you're explaining, you know, 
people are almost comically corrupt or comically bad at their job. You know, it just seems like it might be theater, like it's all acted out a certain way. And and I've had this conversation on the show before. I can't remember which guest brought it up this way, but you know what? It, I think it was Brandon Thomas actually from the Expanding Reality podcast, and he was kind of like, you know, life is a theater. What if in this spiritual way, certain people come into this, you know, reality to play out a role that might seem evil to us who came here to maybe play a neutral role or play a benevolent role or be a hero, you know? Because I think there's all scales of the, you know, spectrum of, of ways to act out your will. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Does it seem almost constructed in in that way? Yeah, I mean, it, it's as they say, all the world is a stage, and and we are the the actors in that and that stage, but. I, you know, if I was, if I, if I were asked to play the villain role right now, I couldn't do it. I could, I just couldn't do it. I'm not, I, I don't think I could rewire myself to see it this way. Some people are maybe are better at that than, than others. We are to some extent kind of living through some form of theater you know, theater of the absurd. We, we understand that these people that are out there, the Fauci's and, you know, and the, the, you know, that we see out there, they're being controlled by people above them. Even Bill Gates and the, these guys, they, they have, there's people above them that are, that have, have power over some of these people. These people have been put in positions to play this role. Now, I, now whether or not they willingly play the role, whether they're, you know, born to play that role, you know, might be the case, as you know very well, you've got this multi-generational type of trauma-based mind control to turn people into villains and turn people into monsters and things like that. So I'll tell you what, if it is all just a gigantic play, I'm ready for it to be over because I want to go do something else because yeah. I'm tired of of dealing with these these maniacs out there that have you know, they seem like their whole mission in life is to make this world a much worse place. And I just can't relate to that as far, and I'm not out fixing the world necessarily or anything like that, but I can't relate to the mindset of saying, how can I break this? How can I take something that's working perfectly fine and just break it? How can I manipulate all these people to go do what I want them to do? How can I, you know, I, I don't know. It's maybe, maybe, it's because I'm not a psychopath. Maybe if you were psychopathic, those sorts of things just sort of pop right into your into your consciousness and you're you're better at it than other people. But to me, it seems like a really awful way to go through life. I don't know if we've got multiple lives. I don't know if we I don't know if we get another shot at this, but if this is our only shot, what a waste to spend it as the bad guy going around hurting other people, creating wars, creating suffering. I just could never reconcile that with my soul. I don't think I would be good at it. I'd have to, I'd have to, I'd have to step out of the starring role and go be a stage hand or something. Right. Yeah, no. And, and I'm totally with you from that perspective, but, you know, considering how much of the reality we're in is lied about and we're lied to about it, how much of that is real? I mean, have you ever wondered, like, maybe we're being shown fake videos of bombings and things go out, you know, without a hitch, but they just prolong, you know, these conflicts, these play out these fake conflicts, you know, and you have, you know, like we described in 
actually this was before we started recording you talked about if you want to share that the gentleman you just spoke to on your podcast who was saying you know a lot of my comrades in the military we were just like why are we here you know yeah and you see the big pharma ties to the military industrial complex them being out in afghanistan with the poppy fields vietnam and the golden triangle down there in cambodia and laos i mean there's clearly a connection there i i had to wonder you know the longest war in our history what if it was all just like uh you know they're kind of you know, orchestrating things to keep the money flow to, you know, get more guns, get more bullets, get more helicopters, all the things to keep the factories here manufacturing that stuff nice and rich. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Charlie? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I had an interesting conversation a couple of weeks ago with Scott Horton and, and he said that we were talking about the Trump plan for withdrawal from Afghanistan, which was going to happen in May, and then the Biden plan for withdrawal from Afghanistan, which would happen in August. And, and, and Scott said, you want to go with the Trump plan. You want to get out early May because that's when the weather warms up and it becomes fighting season. I go, fighting season? He goes, in Afghanistan, that's fighting season. And I'm like, if there's a fighting season, then this has to be horseshit. You know what I mean? Like if there's a season in which you kill each other and like a season, like an off season, then this can't actually be a war about anything really. And so the, the guy you were talking about, that I was talking to earlier was Tony Arterburn. He's a, he's a, a radio host and a former army ranger. And he was in Kosovo and Afghanistan and Iraq. And he knew after Kosovo, after Kosovo, but before Iraq and, Af and, and Afghanistan, that the wars were bullshit, that 9-11 was not as it appeared to be. But he was in Afghanistan on New Year's Eve 2001. So, I mean, so like three months after the attack, he's like, we're there. You know, we're already there. And I go, well, and what was it? He says, we went in, there was a lot of nothing. He said, you'd be surprised how much nothing there is there and how much, how little is going on. So I go, well, how, what do you, how do you stay there for two decades? He's like, I don't know. Wow. He goes, cause we were there. He goes, we were there thinking, what are we, what are we even going to do? You know, like, what are we, like, he says every now and then you get shot at and, you know, there's things like that. He goes, but for the most part, it was, there was a whole lot of nothing. And I was thinking, well, what if it was like a fake war? You know, like, what if, what if there was, what if it was a war that was made for television? Mm. Like wag the dog, like that movie, you know, what if, what if, and you go, well, you have all the components for it, a corrupt media, a, a military that's trying to justify an inflated budget and, and, and keep a trillion dollars a year flowing their way. Yeah. You know, it, it obviously, if you've been someplace for two decades, you get in there and take control away from the Taliban, you're there for 20 years and on your way out, you hand control back to the Taliban Clearly you've accomplished nothing, but was that the point? You know, so it, it raises sort of an interesting, an interesting question. So who, whose idea was it? Whose idea was it to leave? What, you know, whose idea was it to stay for two decades? And what did we get from that? So it's, it is, and, and now since you asked the question about faking, like, like maybe even wholesale faking aspects of the war, well, now we've got deep fake technology. We've got everybody's voice recorded. I mean, you can make people do or say whatever you want them to say. Gone are the days of needing Jeffrey Epstein and his brownstone operations with bedrooms wired with cameras. I mean, if you've got it for blackmail, great. But, 
you don't need it anymore because if you want to make it look like uh, Lindsey Graham is uh, in a leather bondage suit, uh, you can do that pretty easily with some CGI, you know? And then it's like, but I wasn't, that wasn't my bondage suit. Mine is brown, you know, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever Lindsey Graham would say. <laughs> Mine's a different color, you know, but that we, you can do that. You can, you don't need, so, so now we're in a, a situation where who knows what reality is? Because if you're, if you're, if you're looking at your television set and that's your barometer for, for understanding reality, you're going to be at a severe disadvantage because they can now literally put whatever they want on there, make it look hundred percent real. And we would never know. Yeah. And I wonder if the inundation of, of screens, you know, specifically post nine 11 with phones and laptops, computers, tablets, all these things being flooded into our Western culture, if we want to call it that. I mean, Chris Rock, I just saw on Instagram the other day, he had a tweet about, oh, get the vax, it's safe, get it, it's fine. For years, his special ran on Comedy Central, and everybody remembers the joke where he talks about, like, you know, if the big pharmaceutical companies wanted to heal you, you know, that they wouldn't be making any money. You know, he had that, I don't want to paraphrase because he'd said it much better than I can, but. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody's yeah. heard this comedy routine. And, you know, within 15 years or 20 years, that whole line of thinking, thanks to maybe woke culture, thanks to the screens and the media, a guy like Chris Rock, who was, you know, proud rebel against the mainstream now is totally touting Merck and, and you know, Johnson and Johnson and all these different companies, which, I mean, you know, and I know started with IG Farben the International Chemical Institutions, all these different companies that were totally, you know, born out of the empire, born out of the war in military industrial complex. So, it, you know, that's a lot to, to respond to, Charlie. But yeah, I mean, it's to me, I'm like, I don't know where to go with with some of that. And I think people in most, you know, communities, the average person, they kind of probably feel super overwhelmed too and just shut it off. They don't do the research that someone like you and I or Tara does. Yeah, it's, yeah, you know, and so what do you do if you're in a situation like that where you don't, you're either unwilling or unable to do the research? You have to outsource it to somebody else. You have to sort of put your trust in somebody else. Like I'm not a nuclear physicist. I have no idea how this stuff works. So if somebody comes out who is a nuclear physicist and says, this is how it works and this is what we're doing. You know, I go, okay, if you say so. I mean, how would I know? So I get that. I understand that there are a lot of people out there going, well, I'm not a doctor. And how would I know if there's any? Yeah, I get that. Here's how, here's at least what they can do to better, to improve their chances of, of getting through this. Understand your sources. If you're getting your information from the mainstream media, don't because they're compromised. If you're getting your information from Chris Rock, maybe don't. Okay. If you're getting your information from me, maybe don't do that either, or at least take my information and say, that sounds crazy. I'm going to go fact check him. That's a good idea. Go fact check everybody. If you, if you, if you are in a, a position where you're hearing things that sound insane to you and can't possibly be real, go fact check them to go prove them wrong. Cause a lot, cause that's what I was doing. Like when I would hear Alex Jones or David Icke say something I'm like, that sounds crazy. I'm going to look into this and I go, I'll be damned. They're right. So it makes it real when you do the research yourself. It's a shame to see somebody like Chris Rock kind of come out. And I saw that tweet too. It's like, yeah, come on out, you know, go get the vaccine. It's like, I get it. You have to, you have to work with these monsters and you have to say, sometimes say the things that they want you to say, but 
you know, don't expect us to have any respect for you anymore after that, because that's garbage. You don't, you know, you're, you're giving bad information. You're telling people to go get the vaccine when, 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 you know, even I, I'll say talk, you know, do your own research. I'm not going to say get the vaccine or don't get the vaccine. I know I'm not getting it. And that's been decided and that's not subject for, for debate. So I know how I feel, but I also am having to be very like careful with saying, God, you know, the thing I hate about the media is that they tell you, you have to do this. So I don't want to do the same thing that the media does and tell people you have to do this. So I have to kind of be honest and say, all right, because I don't like the way the media does that, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to say, this is what I'm doing. This is how I think. This is what I think about it. This is where I got my information. You do your own thing, you know, good. Do, do your own research, but, but do not outsource your critical thinking to the corporate media because they don't want the same things that you want. They have no problem lying to you. They do it as a matter of standard operating procedure on a nightly basis. So be careful about who's, I mean, I know it's tempting to say, oh, you guys are getting your information on the internet. You dummies. You don't know what you're talking about. I get it. There's a lot of misinformation on the internet, you know, for sure. But at least we're trying to get the good information. I know that the mainstream media is not trying to give me the truth. They're trying to give me some weird version that manipulates me into feeling a certain way so that I'll do something. And Chris Rock is trying to manipulate people into thinking a certain way so that they do something. Now, whether he's been paid to do that or whether he he firmly believes that, I don't know. I don't know the guy. But But I thought it was disgusting. And I actually kind of expected a little bit more from him especially since, you know, you're in that world, you know, how those, the comedians, the comedians get the benefit of the doubt where they can, they can say the things like the, the, the controversial things under the guise of, of, of comedy. Well, well, I guess at least they used to be able to do that. I mean, maybe we could ask Shane Gillis about about that. that. He might have a different answer, but, but, but you could, you could sort of frame your discussion in, Hey, I'm just a dummy comedian, just talking about this stuff. What do I know? But it's like, better not think of, don't look up Tuskegee. Wah, wah, wah. You know, like he could do that act and that would be hilarious because we know what he's talking about, but to come out and say, Oh yeah, get the vaccine. It's safe. Right. No, thank you. That's weird. Stay in your lane, Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, to bring Shane Gillis up, we've had his uh, co-host Matt McCusker, mm. Matt McCusker on the podcast, and and yeah, we didn't get into that, but I mean, he's doing really well despite that. I will say, but Sam talks about that often on his show. You know, the the hypocriticism in comedy, and you see how they've taken something that used to be a vessel for free speech and free thought and critical thought against the establishment, and use this woke culture to disarm it and make it yeah. you know, just another form of entertainment. But I'm wondering, you know, how virtue signaling and this whole diversity officer sort of policing each other aspect has come into your research and what you've written about. And what is that? And what, yeah, if we can get a better, if we can get a better explanation for those who don't know. Like the woke mob people, or are we talking about them? Virtue signaling, yeah. Virtue signaling people. Yeah. This is an interesting one because they've always been there, right? And but but COVID really uncovered a bunch of closeted authoritarians and the woke people 
are the worst because they are, it's, it's like a form of mental illness masquerading as manners where they're, they're trying to tell they're trying to protect everybody from getting hurt emotionally and don't, don't exclude this person and don't say something bad about that person and don't make fun of that person's appearance and don't make fun of that person's disability and all these things, you know, it's like, we're trying to protect all these people. And you go, okay, but I think something different. They go, I want you to die, you know? And it's like, whoa, you were super compassionate up until the point where I disagreed with you just a little bit. And then you want me to die. So they're not to be taken seriously in any real sense. But the problem is that there's so many of them because there's been this, this indoctrination through the, through the colleges, through the woke professors and through academia that's, that's, that's sort of, they've allowed this to happen. They've allowed themselves to get hijacked by students in the class going, you know, I, I got the textbook and there's a, a word in there that made me feel all icky inside. So I want that professor fired. And then the university comes in and goes, you're out of here. And they fire the professor. And then they say, you know what we've done everybody because you read that word and it hurt you in the inside. And we committed a microaggression against you. We've set up a safe space for you in this building and you can go in there and suck your thumb if you'd like to. And I see this and I go, what the fuck are you doing? This is insane. Why are you caving to, why are you negotiating with terrorists here? So to speak, this is, this is not healthy, but then, but then that, that, their negative behavior, the woke mob's negative behavior is then positively reinforced by the fact that the university takes them seriously. The university should have right off the bat with all these people said, you kids that are acting like this, you get an F in the class, get out of here. You know, stop it. This guy's been here for a while. And I'm not trying to say I agree with all the professors all the time, especially the tenured ones, because they're in some weird lane where they can stay there and say whatever they want forever. But but allowing these students to run the institutions and sort of make the rules seemed to me like a really bad idea. And I've been out of school since 95. I mean, I've been out of, out of USC since 95 and we didn't have any of this stuff. I mean, the idea of going to a professor and telling them that they're, that they've mis, misgendered me and that you want to that they commit a microaggression against me and that I, I demand an apology would be, preposterous and insane for me to even think about something like that. And yet here we are. So the woke people and the social justice warriors are out there. They've been, they've been deputized during COVID to become little minions of the state to go and, and if you see something, say something, right? Like Janet Napolitano said with the department of Homeland security, if you see somebody with too many cars in the driveway, at Thanksgiving, call us because there might be a super spreader event. We'll send the police over there. Like if you're the person that makes the phone call, you're a horrible human being, period. So what happened through COVID with the social justice warriors and the woke when it kind of converged was that it gave a purpose to these people that had meaningless lives. It gave them a sense of accomplishment and authority to go out there and be a, an arm of the state. They're more like, like the middle finger of the state, but they're, they're, they, they, they felt empowered to go out and get in everybody's business. I mean, Tara, would you ever have imagined a time when somebody would come up to you in the grocery store and ask you if you've had an experimental medical procedure, like with a straight face? Like that is insane. Oh, yeah. It, <laughs> and, and we've but been, we've normalized that. 
Yeah, we we were thrown out of a grocery store for not wearing masks like two, three weeks ago in the middle of August. It's like, you know, in a, in a nice little lakeside town where Anderson Cooper happens to own a, a mansion, synchronicity. A number dungeon. Three. I mean, a mansion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's something underground there, but yeah. you know, we got thrown out of this stupid market. It wasn't even like yeah. worth our time going there in the first place. You know, we like, we like to eat healthy and this place was not up to snuff, but either way, you know, yeah. So we got thrown out and it was just so disappointing because it's like, come on, man, it's summertime. Who's really wearing a mask? Like, seriously, you know, and it's just a shame to see everybody just follow the leader in that way. But it's yeah, it's yeah. it's really, you know, this woke culture coming to the fray. And, you know, I, I as you're talking about this, I'm remembering 2018, I was working at a farmer's market and the health department would do one inspection every farmer's market season. So every summer they would come, they would do an inspection and they would, you know, bust your balls a little bit, but it was okay. Cause once you dealt with them that one day, you were good the rest of the summer. Well, 2018 was totally different. They were like, gearing up it felt like and i had no idea why i was just like wow they're really strict this year we were selling bread and we would give samples so i would spend a lot of time cutting up little bread samples and we had like 20 varieties so it was fun people came up tried bread i'd talk to them well all of a sudden the health department in fairfield connecticut issues us a sneeze guard well they, they ordered us to make a sneeze guard because People, according to them, were going to sneeze on our bread, and I wouldn't notice, you know, because I'm just a robot automaton, you know, <laughs> I, I have no, you know, self-will of my own, so they had to impose this sneeze guard. It's like ridiculous. It turned over our whole business in that way because we couldn't sample bread anymore. It's like, what, what are you doing to us? And I remember week after week, these people would come and give us a hard time because I'm not the type of person that gets pushed around. You talk about microaggressions, like we're, we're all about aggression on the East Coast, unfortunately. Right. You know, you get in our face, we're going to get back in your face. So this was a problem for me. I got in trouble a couple of times with the farmer's market people and all that. So, but yeah, it was like a, re a really interesting, you know, on the horizon, here comes COVID. And it seems like the health department that year was so so strict you know i was calling the the health nazis you know amongst the other farmers market people but that's really what it is in a way it's it's this type of social socialist marxism cultural marxism that's being applied through the government systems and you got a good view of that with the sneeze guard story because you could tell right away that it wasn't about science. It was about compliance. It was like, you do this or we'll put you out of business. And you're like, you're thinking, okay, let's just say in this fictional scenario, I'm holding this tray with all these different types of bread and I'm, I'm going to give it to this guy right here. And this guy goes, uh, uh, and sneezes all over my bread. What do you think I'm going to do with this bread? Do you think I'm going to serve it to everyone else who just saw this? Or do you think I'm going to, as a business owner or a business person here, I'm going to go, well, time to throw this bread out. Let's get some new bread. You don't need the sneeze guard because business itself will sort of work these things out. And when you inject government into it, and this going off on my anarchist rant, this is why I get asked to speak at anarchist conventions, because the government just injects itself and creates a problem where a problem doesn't exist. Because in a fair market or a free market, you would be incentivized to not serve that sneezy bread to somebody else 
because you might get them sick and they go, I ate that bread at that place. I'm never going back there. So you kind of have a business incentive to go "Mm, throw this away, get some new stuff. I don't need the government to tell. First of all, if I put a sneeze guard there and somebody sneezed all over that, that would be more disgusting than anything else. But the idea that there's a sneeze guard there, like for that one rogue time that a guy decides he can't turn away and sneezes all over some stranger's food uh, stand. I mean, it's, it's idiotic on its face. And yet to point that out to somebody is like you break their brain. Like that, that, that compliance guy in this scenario, you tell them, what do you think is, what do you think the actual chances are of somebody sneezing all over this stuff? Like one in a million, maybe? I mean, seriously. And yet that guy's job, (laughs) yeah, that guy's job is to go around and be the sneeze guard Nazi. Like, congratulations, you're in hell. If that's your job, like you should, you have to go reevaluate your, you've made a serious vocational error if you, if that's your job is to go out and enforce these things. And so I find it like the more comical it gets, like take going back to where we started with the rainwater criminalization, you actually kind of need some of those examples to show how stupid things can get when you allow government to just run unchecked. They'll, they'll just take it to a degree that's so cartoonish that you're like, really, this is what we're doing? Sneeze guards and, and you have to put warning labels on, God, what did I, I put in the book? There was a, a thing that was like all these warning labels. I mean, you know, the warning labels on hot coffee and stuff like mm. that, but it was like, it was like, do not, you know, warning, this paint may be permanent. It's like, yeah, it's paint. You know, like and just stupid <laughs> things like that. And you wonder who, who made this, who decided that we needed this law? Like, like at some point you feel like I take all the warning labels off, right? Just take them all off and let's see how, how we'll sort this thing out pretty quick. We'll just let everyone, all these dummies burn themselves to death with hot, hot coffee. And then they'll go, this is hot coffee is really hot. Yeah, <laughs> dummy. That's why you bought it. So I, I have like a, it's like a weird nanny state that's being brought in. And then you've got a segment of the population that wants it and wants more of it. They want more regulation and more restrictions. Like they feel like comfortable, like that daddy government is looking out for them and they want to be in compliance. And so one of the things that where we're going with this whole thing that makes me very nervous, and I'm sure it does for the two of you as well, is the social credit system, because you're going to be scored on your compliance. You're going to be graded higher the more compliant you are. And these people seem to be wanting to show off how compliant they can be. Like, oh, you want me to wear four masks and, 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 and a butt plug? Okay, fine. I'll do that. Because, because whatever Fauci says, look, look, I'm the first one to do it. Do I get extra points? So they're going to set up this system with a social credit score and, and, and the, everything that connects into that, where your ability to, to participate in society is directly tied to your compliance with the government. And that is the beginning of hell. Yeah. Yeah. It's not science. It's compliance. And even in science, there's so much compliance, you know, like these institutions to bring it back to, you know, the woke culture again. I mean, growing up in Connecticut, 
Yale University is a big kind of feature where, at least in our area, and I've noticed, you know, on the topic of diversity, it's not about race, it's about classism. And yeah. this whole diversity push in a place like Yale or Harvard or any other Ivy League school, it's not to get the average, you know, Hispanic or black kid from the street to go to that school. It's to get the Prince of Ghana and the, you know, the right. son of a Kazakhstani, you know, a millionaire to go to these schools. It's not about you know, bringing everybody up in the community. Look at Yale's backyard. You've got three terrible neighborhoods on all sides of it, you know, and it's, you know, ridiculous how much crime and police, you know, are in the area where million dollar, you know, family, billion dollar families are sending their kids for school. Yeah. And it's not, a, you're, you nailed it there because it's not about like how they framed it last summer was black lives matter, black versus white and everything. It's not black versus white. It's the powerful versus the powerless. And that, and those come in all colors, you know, and some of the, yes, most of the powerful are white, but it's not limited to white. They're not going to exclude you because you're not white. They'll exclude you because you're not powerful. That's what, that's the key thing. And if you happen to be powerful and the son of the president of Ghana and black, you're in the club you know, maybe it may be sort of a different version of the club, but you're in, they, they want that power. So the black community saying, we're going to fight against the white community. Don't, we have way more in common. The problem is them, the people up above us, and they're up above the white community too. So the black community is thinking that the white community is all in on this. I assure you, we're not, we don't like those people either. And it's not a black and white thing. It's just, it's, it's different. That's too simplistic. Of course, that that's too easy, but it, but it works very well for dividing people into groups. So you can divide them into, instead of having the 99%, take the 99% and divide them into smaller sections like Hispanics, black, white, and then get them all fighting with each other. So it's the oldest trick in the book. It works really well, what they don't want us to realize is that, okay, maybe I have problems with the black community or the Hispanic community. Maybe they have problems with me and the white community and that's fine. And it's reasonable. And their, their issues with us are warranted and, and, and I can't really argue with it, but let's put those aside just for a little while and focus on the people above us. If we take care of them, I get the feeling that all of our little petty problems will sort of work itself out because they're the ones creating this, this, this chaos for all of us. And it's not just the black community. The black community says, thinks that the white community has it all great. The white community is in disarray as well. They're just, you know, it's just a different kind of dysfunction there. But it's all created by the people above us. They want us fighting with each other. And if we if we don't, if we put, if we don't fight with each other, but instead focus on them, then they've got a real problem. And so they know that they know they're massively outnumbered. And, and the best way to deal with a situation like that is to get the masses in, into smaller and smaller and smaller groups, get them fighting about whatever you can get them fighting about, especially stupid stuff. And then they'll be so exhausted working on each other that they'll never recognize that we are controlling, getting even more power, taking even more money, weaponizing your anger, and just wearing you all out so that you have no energy left to actually fight them, which is, which is where we should be. So we're in, a, we're in an, interesting, an interesting time 
especially here in America, where we've gone through last summer with all of this like racial tension, we've gone through invisible viruses and things like that. We've got everybody all hopped up, but maybe like exhausted from all of it. And I, and I'm, I'm curious how it's going to play out for the last couple of months of this year and, and, and how we're going to, you know, what we're going to see as we get into this, this flu season and how, and the new narratives that are going to come up and what sort of, what sort of wild cards are going to throw our way. But I, I guarantee you one thing, it, it, there will be more and more division. There will be more and more of a division between what they're creating now with the vaccinated versus the anti, the unvaccinated and these dirty unvaccinated people. So expect more fuckery from, from the media and the government. And, uh, but I'll say this, there is one good bit of news in this is that our awakening is like on an upward trajectory and their trust in media is like falling off a cliff. So if we can wake up fast enough, we're going to, we're going to get to a point where nobody's listening to the media, their spells don't work on us anymore. And then we'll start to see some real change. Yeah. Yeah. This is the theme in so many legends, myths, stories that, you know, we will, make it through this time that seems like the end of the world but there's some sort of invisible force maybe our higher selves maybe that invisible force is us and our ability to connect with each other through this ethernet you know this world that's i mean in a way magical right <laughs> we have someone all the way in a different time zone across mountains and deserts you know we would have never met if the internet didn't exist so exactly i think that's something to to take advantage of and on that note wow charlie we got into so much folks can check out your book hypocrisy spelled h-y-p-o-c-r-a-z-e like the word crazy right or sorry Easy why yeah sometimes why always why, why. In case. <laughs> yep. but and your many other books a controlled demolition of america the great the octopus of global control you know we've got so many tidbits and pieces that you've put together in that book that give yeah. folks who might not be aware of all this stuff a really full picture of you know what's going on in their world so charlie kudos for you to to you for all the work you've done and and thank you for thank joining you. us on the on the show other than the the book what's next in store for you well first of all thank you very much it's it's always nice to to get a compliment from you 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 know this stuff, you know how important this is. You're doing really amazing work and getting involved in all these networks. So coming from you, I, I, I take it as a, as an extra special compliment. Thank you. Look, what I'm doing is I'm doing macroaggressions twice a week and union of the unwanted, of course, twice a month. And I'll probably start on the new book because I've got ideas and things I want to want to write about. So I'll probably start on that after I am done with a couple months of, I don't know, maybe early next year, start on it and, and just see where we see where we go. But, you know, I'd love to just be doing podcasts about football, <laughs> but I can't, I feel like it, like I can't do, as long as we have these current situations and problems, like, I feel like it would be negligent of me to not try to get the word out as much as I can about this stuff, because it just seems like it's the most important thing in the world right now. 
and then maybe if if the insanity dies down, then we can I can get into doing football podcasts. But but for the time being, that's, that's the life that's, you chose, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it chose me. So, but but I'm um, yeah. If anyone wants to connect with me, they can do so through the website, The Octopus of Global Control. If you want to buy the digital book, you can get it there. Just a ten dollar donation will get the the new book. And $15 or more will get the new book plus the octopus book in digital format. That's the, I can't, the paperbacks all go through Amazon because they are, are the printers of it. So, but I can do the digital book through my, you know, through my own site if you're, if people are interested. So, and thanks for having me back on. I always appreciate our, our conversations. We get into the weird stuff and I love it. Right on. Yeah. Thank you for joining me, Tara. And thank you, Charlie, for joining us. This has been a, another episode of The Scene, the synchromystic exploration of the ever-expanding now. And folks can get the whole thing on our Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. Thank you for listening. And again, thank you for joining us, Charlie. All Thanks. right. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the free portion of this episode of the synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with your host, Mark Palmer, and his lovely girlfriend, Tara. Esso Tara, as I like to call her sometimes. Either way, show us some love on the Patreon and get the whole episode. And by the way, Show Charlie Robinson some love. He's got a podcast called Macroaggressions where he interviews guests and he also puts out a monologue. And then, of course, he's got twice a month The Union of the Unwanted where he is one of four awesome co-hosts as well as all the other great people that join in. I myself join in from time to time when we're not on the synchromystic journey. But thank you so much for participating in the journey with us. Whether you support us or not, we love you. But come on over to the Patreon. Patreon.com slash MFTIC. You get a whole another 45 minutes of this conversation with Charlie Robinson. Either way you shake it, it's a good deal for me. Only $3 for you. Or you can be like Elizabeth who threw it in $33 and we're sending her a book. Either way, have a great day.